0: John chapter 4 we're going to end this section today. Start with a question. I wonder if you would believe me if I told you that I could do something that I'm just going to say it is impressive. I wonder if you would believe me if I told you that now. I am one of five boys. Can you imagine my mother? I mean bless my mother. Five boys. I have four brothers. Now, when you say you can do something, that don't mean nothing to four brothers. Talk is cheap. Show me. Don't just talk. Show us what you got. Because, isn't it true that seeing is believing? It's true. It's a popular phrase. So I'm going to tell you. I can deadlift 300 pounds, and you could just take me, take me at my word. But if you were like my brothers, you'd say, "Show me." So go ahead, Dana, show them. Will they be able to see? Here you go. There it is. Now, you guys are not as impressed as you should be. That's 300 pounds. Look at that. Now, that was a little while ago. You see the beard, but I actually can do more than that now. But you're going to have to trust me on that because I don't have the bar and the weights. Yeah. See, there's always cynics. Always cynics. Just like one of my brothers, that's what they would have said. You can take that down now, we got it. I can't do that many reps of it. It's true, though, seeing is believing. But the irony of the story we're going to read this morning, and the irony that's so often true in the Bible, is that what seems true in the world is actually different in God's economy. Like the truths that we tend to, to live our lives by, the kingdom of God often inverts. So I say seeing is believing, and to some extent that's true. But what the Bible teaches over and over again is that faith is actually the opposite of that. What this this section of Scripture is going to teach us is not that seeing is believing. It's that believing is seeing. I'm just going to flip it right upside down. So let's go to this section of Scripture and read it. John chapter 4, verse 46, and we'll read through 54, the end of the chapter. May God bless the reading of the the word and may he pin its truth on our hearts. So he came, that's Jesus, he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. You remember, right? And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. to Galilee. The previous section of scripture, which I, I, I made a mistake here. I wanted to actually read from verse 43. You guys can look at it right there. I ended last week in verse 42 with the Samaritans proclaiming Jesus as what? Do you remember that? Savior of the world. Now that was so ironic that, the, that John would put that phrase in the mouths of Samaritans. It should have been from Jesus' own people, not from the Gentiles. That was alarming. That was shocking to us. This foreshadows something that John actually told us in chapter 1, verse 12, when he said, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received him? Have you believed in his name? If you have, then you are a child of God. Amen? So Jesus leaves this area of Samaria. Remember, these, they have nothing to do with the Jews. He took this shortcut through Samaria on his way to Galilee. And he received what would have been shocking to many of us, if we had lived at that time, a a warm reception from the Samaritans they actually pleaded with him will you stay with us he stayed with him a few days and he kept teaching and preaching and many of them were told came to faith and believed not because of what happened to the woman but because they heard Jesus themselves but you know church that Jesus doesn't always get a warm reception right Jesus is not always getting a warm reception. And you're going to see right here, you might not be able to see it until you study it. But he's headed into a place where he should get a warm reception. And he's not going to get it because John tells us parenthetically, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Jesus doesn't always get a warm reception at the table. Does he? You know this to be true. Christianity doesn't always get a warm reception at the table. So we should not anticipate that wherever Jesus goes, he will be warmly received. In fact, he told us, John told us in chapter 1, verse 11, that Jesus came to his own. And what happened? His own wouldn't receive him. Now he's heading to his hometown, Galilee. What kind of reception will he receive? That's the question that should be ringing on our minds. Got a warm one in Samaria. What's going to happen when he gets to his hometown? Nazareth was in the region of Galilee. John's tone, a lot of people have wrestled over this. Do you see those parentheses in, in verse Verse 44. Why is that in parentheses? That's John adding a parenthetical comment about Jesus not receiving honor in his hometown. And what we can't do when we read the scripture is hear the tone. What we can't do is see the face of the person who wrote it reading it to us. So sometimes that's lost on us. You know, the Bible's funny sometimes, but we don't see it. This, most theologians believe that this is John being sarcastic. He's saying, hey, we're on the way to to Galilee, and he's going to get a warm reception, right? (laughs) We know what awaits Jesus from his own people. They won't receive him. The story of the healing of the official's son points us to something. Scripture is always doing that. It's pointing you to something. It's pointing you to someone. What is it pointing us to? What does this point us to? Answer. The nature of true faith. That's what this sermon is all about. This sermon is all about faith. What it means to believe and trust God. Now let's feel the story, because undoubtedly you don't feel it the way you should. Jesus returns to Cana, which was the scene of his first miracle. What was his first miracle? Turning the water into wine. You can go back to the beginning of chapter 2. If you mark your Bible, which I suggest that you do, put a mark in chapter 2 and write number 1 next to it and bracket it and then skim all the way ahead to chapter 4 verse 46 and put another bracket on the end of it this is an important section of scripture that's been marked by brackets which John identifies for us when he says this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he was in when he had come from Judea to Galilee Jesus has already been in this area before and he's done something that got everybody excited. It had something to do with alcohol. He turned the water into wine, not just a little bit of water and not just mediocre wine. And that story has a way of spreading. The magic man's back in town. And he's met by a man. And we didn't feel it because we, don't, we need to slow down when we're reading the scripture. But we don't feel that this man, if you put yourself in his shoes, is a man in great personal anguish. Have you ever been in great personal anguish? Have you ever felt pain? Have you ever felt sorrow? Have you ever been distracted? Feel like you couldn't do anything because your experience of pain was so great? That's this guy. Why? His son's dying. The scripture tells us at the point of death. Now this man was known... Ordinary man, again, we're getting these contrast of characters. We left the poor, uneducated woman at the well, immoral woman. Now we've got somebody running to Jesus. The Greek word is a basilicus. He is a nobleman. He's a king's man. He's like a small or petty king. He's an official in Herod's house. Remember the name Herod? That's what this guy is. He's an official. For Herod. This is a man of influence. This is a man of power. This is a man of wealth. But his wealth has not been able to solve a great problem that he has. The great problem that he has is that his son, he is watching his son, who is a fever, become seriously ill, and this father is watching his child's life slowly drain away and power won't fix it and wealth won't fix it and fame won't fix it. Have any of you ever had a child who is really sick? It's worse. It's worse a child's troubles are worse on a parent than troubles for yourself. Some of you haven't experienced that yet. Are you starting to feel the story? Look, regardless of your station in life, troubles come You just have to live long enough. Sorrows, pain, death comes to everyone. Death was knocking at the door of the basilicas. Some of you here, right, maybe sitting right here, upstairs, at home watching, maybe watching later this week, you're experiencing a really, really painful situation. You can relate to this man, you know what he felt like helpless. Because even though he had money, money couldn't fix his problems. Money can do a lot of things. We should be thankful when we have it. But there's a lot of things money can't buy. Money can buy a king-size bed, but it can't buy you a night's rest. Money could buy you a companion, but not a loyal friend. Money could buy you a big old house, but not a home. Money can't buy life. Money can't buy wealth. Money can't buy health. It can't buy the life of a loved one. And this man is in agony and nothing can relieve him. So when he hears that a magic man is coming back into town, he gets on his horse and rides it between 18 and 20 miles as fast as he can to see. When you're desperate, you'll try anything. And he goes to Jesus. He gets, wo- he gets word that the water into wine wonder worker is in town. And there's a lot of people gathered. And this official, picture this scene, Jesus is there. There's a lot of people gathered around. This official comes galloping into town. And my guess is, as I picture it, this wasn't a leisurely trot on his horse. This was point of death. Like, my son is going to die. I got one, more, I got one thing that I can think to do. So I'm going to gallop. So that horse came. You picture. You hear the horse's hooves crashing into town. And as he jumps off that horse, he yells for Jesus. Jesus, Lord, sir. The ESV says that he asked. He went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. He was at the point of death. I like the NIV translation better because I think it captures the sense of the story. The NIV says, begged. There's this sense in which he didn't just say once, would you come down and help me? Oh no, okay, I'll go back. He begged with, him. he begged him, and he continued to beg him, Lord sir. If you could do anything for my son, could you come down? My son's at the point of death. Could you please, please, Lord, sir, they call you Jesus. Jesus, could you please? Jesus, I'm begging you. Jesus, would you please come with me? Jesus, I need you. This is a good story to grow your faith. Because your faith grows when you're in need. This is a good story to grow faith when you're looking for a miracle. When you're looking for a life change. This is a good story. Now, sometimes Jesus replies, I have no clock in here. Or is that, that's one. Okay, good, thank you. Is that right? Somebody verify five minutes slow slow okay there we go (laughs) I thought you said fast sometimes Jesus replies are startling are you ever startled by Jesus replies you're supposed to be shocked and this is one of those times I just described for you the situation Please, Jesus. Can you come down? I'm in a predicament here. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Dang, Jesus. Why so cold and un- unsympathetic? If I said to you, Do you think Jesus loves this man? What would you say? Yeah. Jesus is loving. Why are you talking like this, Jesus? He didn't seem to te- talk this way to the Samaritan woman at the well. Why is he talking this way to this guy? What's he, what's he doing? Jesus' words are mercifully surgical. When he said, unless you people. He was talking to these whole group of people that had gathered who wanted to see him do more magic. Give me stuff, Jesus. They wanted Jesus in a bottle, genie in a bottle. So when Jesus said this, yes, there is a sense in which there's a correction here, but it's because Jesus loves them and that man so much that he wants to give him more than the healing of his son. He wants to give him something greater. He wants to give him himself. So when he said, unless you people see wonders and signs, you won't believe, he's talking to everyone. And Jesus' words are about to lift this man to new heights of faith. Jesus' words right now are about to lift some of you to new heights of faith. You need a greater height of faith. And maybe, just maybe, he's using the predicament, the painful situation that you find yourself in to do some merciful surgery on your heart so that Jesus becomes greater to you. With pinpoint accuracy, Jesus puts... Doesn't he always do this? With pinpoint accuracy, Jesus puts his finger on the weakness of this man's faith. Jesus puts his finger on the weakness of the people's faith. Jesus puts his finger on the weakness of my faith, of your faith. So today... What we're talking I took you through this story, I allowed you to feel it. We're talking about faith. We're saying that this, this passage points to the, to the true nature of faith. So what I want to do now, for the rest of our time, is talk about the meaning of faith. And I want to give you three categorical descriptions of faith. The meaning of faith. First, I love when you guys, I love when I see people turn their notebooks and start writing. That does teachers. It, 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 I don't know. It makes teachers encouraged. First, meaning of faith. The, we need to see the crucial importance of faith. The crucial importance of faith, What Jesus is doing, and I've already started to share this with you, Jesus is challenging people to see him as more than just Aladdin, you know, a genie coming out of a bottle who gives us what we need most. To see Jesus as more than just a magic man. To see Jesus as more than just the latest fad. To see Jesus as more than just a sensational figure. Jesus wants to give us more than a miracle. Jesus wants to give you more than the benefits of the salvation that he came to offer. Jesus wants to give you more than health. He wants to give you more than wealth. He wants to give you more than just a good life. Jesus wants to give you himself. Jesus wants to bring you into the family of God. You weren't born into the family of God. The scripture tells us that we are all born into the kingdom of sin and death. You know what Jesus wants to do? What he came to do is to take you out of that kingdom and place you into his kingdom where he rules and where you live, no longer in the reign of sin and death, but under the reign of his grace forever and ever and ever. That's what Jesus came to do. This is not a rebuke. This is not Jesus being unkind. This is the beginning of God's grace at work in this man's life. He's going to get more than he came for. He's going to get more than the healing of his son. He's going to get Jesus. He's going to believe in Jesus, which is why John wrote this gospel, that we would believe in it and what, church, have life in his name. He's going to believe in Jesus, and he's going to get life in Jesus' name. And that's better. Jesus wants to give you more than a healing. Jesus wants to give you more than a fix-up. Jesus wants to give you more than a slight makeover. Jesus wants to give you himself and life in his name. Seeing is believing is easier than true faith. Because true faith is believing is seeing. What God is showing us is the crucial importance of faith in the life of a Christian. The necessity of faith, guys, check this out, is underscored by the operate for the operation of Jesus' power. Faith on the human side. Do you hear what I'm saying? God, it's not on Jesus' side, on God's side, but on our side of the equation, faith is the crucial ingredient. John wrote that we would what? Believe that we would have faith. Faith in Jesus, I want you to consider something. The dying boy whom Jesus heals is never, that we know of, in the physical presence of Jesus. So he is just like you and me. He's never been in the physical presence of Jesus. He's never met Jesus, but that does not limit Jesus' ability to meet his needs. You feeling it? You've never met Jesus, but he's met your needs. Faith, that's what faith is. It's practical confidence in the power of God. It's it's believing Jesus to be who he says he is. Not being able to see Jesus actually creates the context in which faith operates. Did you hear me say that? Not being able to see Jesus actually creates the context in which your faith operates. Hebrews 11, often referred to as the Hall of Fame of Faith. It tells us that all of these people, the, the, the writer details these famous and, and some infamous characters of the faith. And he says this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only, well, listen, saw them and welcomed them from a distance. In other words, how did they see them? Through their belief, through faith. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. You admitting that? You ready to admit that? By faith they saw. That's what the scriptures tell us. By faith they saw. Because believing really is seeing. It says that Moses, in this chapter, it says, By faith he left Egypt Not fearing the king's anger, and he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. How do you do that? How do you do that? He saw him who is invisible. How did he do it? He saw through the eyes of faith, he saw God by faith. Hebrews 11.1. 1. I'm going to give you a bunch of different translations. I love to do this sometimes. You should do this sometimes. Read a bunch of different translations of the verse. Listen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the ESV. Listen to this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what is faith? Faith gives substance to our hopes and makes us certain of realities we do not see. Am I making my point? Now, faith means that we have full confidence in the things that we hope for. It means being certain of things we do not see. What is faith? It's the confident assurance that, we, that what we hope for is actually going to happen. The evidence of things we cannot see. See, God wants to build our faith. I want you to see something in this. I told you that those miracles were bracketed. One was at the wedding. One is at the, the healing of this man's son. Very different scenario, very different situation. A wedding, now there was a problem that they ran into. They, ran into, they weren't having wine. But a wedding is a joyful celebration most of the time. Not this situation, though. No. This situation has a man with a son at death's door. T- two totally different situations. One is an experience of joy. The other is an experience of sorrow. Boyce, James Boyce says that Jesus is more than equal to either occasion. He has a place in every circumstance. Joyful, sorrow. Sorrow. If we invite him, voice says, into our times of innocent happiness, he'll increase our joy. If we call on him in our times of sorrow and anxiety, he brings comfort and a joy that is not of this world. Jesus is the Savior of all men at all times in all and every circumstance. John's making this clear. John is trying to persuade you, reader, to put your faith And a Jesus that you've never met physically. You've never seen. He's trying to persuade you. I'm trying to persuade you that you must put your life, your your faith in Jesus if you want life in his name. That's the only option. He doesn't come and give us a list of to-dos. He doesn't come and say, get religion. He doesn't say, improve yourself. Become a better person. He simply says, believe in me, trust me, no matter what your situation. He says to Nicodemus, drop your religion and believe in me. He says to the Samaritan woman, drop your water jar, which she does. She leaves her water jar and leave and drop your old immoral life and believe me. In me, like the rich man who's desperate for a healing. Get on your horse and and gallop, leave it all behind and believe in Jesus. Jesus has come to seek and save. Jesus would have you. He would have everyone in this room, everyone that's listening to my words. The question is would you have Jesus? Believe. And start seeing. That is the crucial importance of faith. Now let me talk. Secondly, we're talking about the meaning of faith. So we talked about the crucial importance of it. Now we'll talk about the nature of faith. Let's talk about that for a moment. Jesus is exposing the limits of a quote-unquote faith. And I say quote-unquote faith because if you're just seeking him for his miracles, Jesus doesn't believe that that's true faith. So I say faith. But Jesus is exposing the limits of a faith that's based merely on miracles and signs. Some of us are longing for a miracle in our life. Some of us actually believe that if if we could see a miracle, we'd follow Jesus wholeheartedly and and never deviate. And Jesus says, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't, because miracles won't sustain you. I am the one that sustains you. It's not the miracle. It's who's behind the miracle. So, so Jesus is wanting to expose the limits of a "what can you do for me lately?" Jesus kind of faith. Now, it's true that many people begin their journey of faith with a request like this of Jesus: "What can you do for me?" I know, I've I've seen so many people as a pastor come to Christ with those kinds of prayers. I've prayed to myself. Haven't you acknowledged that you've prayed a prayer, prayer like this, Jesus? If you'll do this, I promise. Jesus, if you'll give me her as a wife, I promise. Jesus, if you give me a spouse, Jesus, if you give me that job, oh, Jesus, if you give me that job, me and you are going to be like this. <laughs> Jesus, if you would just do this, Jesus, get me out of this predicament, and I promise, I promise. Haven't you ever prayed prayers like that? I know you have. Aren't you glad that Jesus is so loving that he's even answered prayers like that. To start you on your journey of faith. But he does not want you to stay there. He does not want you to stay there. He wants, you to, he wants to build a bigger faith in you. A greater confidence in him, in you. Faith based on miracles and signs should not be mistaken for true faith. Look at the story. Look at what happens. He begs him. Please, Jesus, come down and heal my son. He's at the point of death. Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said, go. Your son will live. What does it say? The man believed. The man took Jesus at his word and left. Miracle and signs may have a certain value as a starting point for faith, but they remain weak and sterile unless it leads to a concern for Jesus whom the signs are all pointing to. You get that? True faith goes beyond the miracles and seeks the Jesus and the Lord who works them. The nature of true faith is expressed in this. Do you want to know if your faith is real? It's expressed in obedience to Jesus. It's expressed in your love for him. It's expressed in your trusting of his promises. Do you want to know if you have true faith? Ask yourself, am I obedient to Jesus? Am I trusting in his promises? And Do I love him? Not perfectly, but do you see evidence of those things in your life? Then you're following the real Jesus. When you do that, those things that I just said that are expressions of faith, when you do that, you're not dictating the terms of the relationship any longer. You're allowing God to be God and you to be his creature, his child, his son, his daughter. We exist for him. We love him because he first loved us. We follow him. And when we do, we believe. So we've seen the crucial importance of faith. We've seen the nature of faith. There's one more thing I think we need to see from this passage. And I think it's really going to encourage your hearts. It's the development of faith. So crucial importance, nature, and I'll end with the development of faith. There is a notable progression in the official's faith. Remember, he comes galloping in, heart pounding, heart pounding. In agony, crying out to Jesus, Jesus says, "Go, your son will live." The man believed the man took him at his word and went on on his way. so he moves from seeking miraculous signs to taking Jesus at his word, verse fifty, and then look at what happens. as he was going down, his servants met him on the way and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, guys, go home and think on this yesterday. I'm just going to give you something on this. The horse galloped 18 miles, two hours, maybe not even. What in the world took him so long that to get back to his dying son? It's indicative of a man who really believed that Jesus had done it? I don't know what he did. Maybe he hung around thinking, I'd like to get another word with Jesus. Maybe he just wanted to talk to the disciples. What's going on? We don't know what he did, but we knew that he took longer than he needed to. My kid's dying. Jesus says, go your way. I get in the car and I bolt right back home. This guy's taking his time. Why? I think it's to illustrate, not that he doesn't care about his son. He, in fact, he does, but he believes that Jesus has done something about it. So when they say, he checks his watch, which he probably didn't have, but he looks at it and says, hey, what time was it? Probably looking at a sundial. What time was it when uh, he started to get better? Well, it was around 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I knew it. That's exactly when I was talking to Jesus. Do you see a faith that's growing, a faith that's building? What a difference between that heart-pounding gallop to Galilee and that leisurely ride back, full of peace in my heart. What's the difference? A developing faith. We all have problems and pressures, but if our lives are constantly marked by worry, heart pounding, galloping about, frenetic living, anxiety, we probably have not learned to believe God's word to us. To really believe and to be settled in Jesus. Faith is a living thing. It grows and develops. And I love Jesus' willingness to struggle with the official as his faith grew. Jesus struggles with you. Jesus is willing to struggle with you because he sees you not exercising the the strength of faith that he ultimately wants to see in you, but he he doesn't reject you. He doesn't run away from you. He strives with you. He hangs with you as your faith grows. He's struggling with you guys. He's not done with you. The way to get stronger spiritually is to get into the spiritual gym of your lives and train your faith. Exercise your faith, and you will grow. I could get real discouraged if I walked through the gym and looked at what some of the other guys are deadlifting. I'm impressed with that because I'm measuring against me. My son, they can deadlift a lot more than me. One of them is, is above 500 pounds, 200 pounds more than 300. That's a lot of weight, guys. Now, if I look at them and say, I'll just... but I'm not measuring against a 20-year-old college athlete. I know you're impressed with me, but I'm not that strong anymore. I'm not comparing myself to them. I'm looking at what's happening in me. The important lesson is this the way to increase your faith is to exercise your faith, not somebody else's. Church, friends, trust him as you can, trust Jesus. on the verge of an incredible blessing if you turn to God. If you believe in Jesus. The story teaches us what it means to have true faith, a crucial, important faith, the nature of faith, the development of faith. But it's bigger than us. The faith you have in Jesus is not just for you. Look at how this story ends. And he himself believed, and I love this clause, all of his household. The official's faith is well rewarded. I love this little clause. There's an outburst of faith in Capernaum. He returned and told his wife, and she believed. He told his son, and he believed. He told his other kids, and they believed. He told his servants, because he was wealthy, and they believed. And now, look out, world, because we got believers in the house of Herod. One story, one man, an incredible growth of faith. Church, believing is seeing. So let's go. Let's trust him as we can. And watch him transform the world through us. Amen. Amen. Amen.